Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And this week, your Harry Potter friends will discuss Chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Quidditch Final. But first, a few announcements. Last week, we unveiled the 2023 MuggleCast patron physical gift exclusively for Slug Club members. I have it right here. Don't wish you had a time turner. Time is running out to become a patron and order the Patreon exclusive MuggleCast beanie. This is a knitted, high quality beanie. The colors on top were inspired by our album art. And uh, there's a MuggleCast patch stitched in. It's really nice. So join our Patreon at the Slug Club level, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And this is just the beginning of the benefits. You get bonus MuggleCast installments, live streams, ad-free MuggleCast, all kinds of things. And most importantly, at least to us, you're helping us run this show, which we're really grateful for. So thank you so much. And we're very excited to be able to offer a physical gift. Again, time's running out, though. You got to do this as soon as possible. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And a note to our Slug Club members, fill out the form. Maybe a third of you have responded, letting us know your up-to-date address and that you're interested. These gifts are opt-in. So the other two-thirds of you have 20 days. Yes, you have to fill out the form. Otherwise, we cannot send you a beanie. With peace and love, peace and love, we cannot send a (laughs) beanie unless you fill out the form by the deadline. Can we put a countdown on the website? I was going to (laughs) say. Countdown? That would be helpful. Oh, God, what a throwback to like the old countdowns for the book releases and things. Just like post it permanently in the upper right corner. Yeah. The other thing, too, is, look, people's addresses change over time. Right. So it's important that we have the most up to date information. That's why we make you go through the fun of filling out the form. And it's easier to do that than it is to change your address on Patreon. No shame to Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. And and we just want to make sure you want the beanie, too. We don't want to send it to somebody who doesn't want it. And that saves us a little money. We're a small business. We're. We don't want to waste money. Yeah. So that's what's going on there. Thanks, everybody, for your support. Also, another week, another social media app. Just wanted to let everybody know we are on threads. Um, We're MuggleCast on threads. You know, I feel like we're always kind of ahead of the curve. We have this segment Max That and HBO Max ended up turning into Max. Now, Meta launches threads. We've had this segment connecting the threads. It's perfect. And we pitched on our threads. Maybe our threads account will be exclusively dedicated to connecting the threads. And that got a lot of likes. So I think it would be fun. Um, I definitely need Chloe's help, though. (laughs) Yes, I don't know how to socials (laughs) as well as she does. So I did post a new thread this morning, though, giving people a thread report about this episode that we're recording today. I said we're recording episode 618 this morning. And at the time of this writing, we do not have any thread connecting going on in our episode plans. We apologize in advance and we will do our best to find one salute emoji. So I think (laughs) I I like this vertical for us. Just only talking about connecting the threads on our threads account. Yeah, same. Also, I just want to know when Meta is going to pay us our royalties for this because... We were doing the threads first. We were doing it before it was cool. Yeah. That is that is very true. We we do have at least one thread that can be connected in this chapter. And okay, I'm sure good. we'll find out more before we uh, end up with our wrapping up our discussion. I have faith in Laura. Oh, thank you. 
Also, thank you to influencer and Gryffindor Chanel Williams for the amazing Gryffindor-themed playlist that she put together with our social media manager, Chloe. Uh, Last week, we talked about the Slytherin one that I created. Now I got this one from Chanel. You may know her on TikTok as the parody McGonagall. She is so funny. So check out our social media channels and our show notes for a link to her playlist. Oh my gosh, she put in the work. 99 songs in her playlist that she titled Gryffindor Glory. So, (laughs) Did she show all of us up? Yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> everybody just keeps raising the bar. My my like 30 song playlist looks pathetic now. <laughs> hey, mine was only 25. So <laughs> you got me beat. I'm going to have to best 100. And Eric's was 69, I think. Oh, that's right. 69. You do. You do have to top it, Micah. But uh, but I'm so glad this was such a great idea involving Chanel and mad props to Chloe for organizing this because we are not Gryffindors. Our listeners know this. But this playlist is so utterly Gryffindor. It's perfect. I never could have made it anything like it that touches it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And you know, it's summertime. People are outside more. Maybe you're by the pool with a Bluetooth speaker down at the beach. Great opportunity to check out these playlists. Again, on Spotify, we got links in the show notes and um, on social media. too. Speaking of Chanel, she's going to be at LeakyCon in just a few weeks. Absolutely. And so are and we. who else will be at LeakyCon? <laughs> like, and us. Yes, that's true. We're going to be at LeakyCon next month, and the exciting thing to announce on this episode is we're going to be doing a live MuggleCast meetup open to the public. So even if you're not coming to LeakyCon, if you're in or around the Chicago Chicago land area, maybe you're attending Lollapalooza, which is that weekend, we're doing a gathering in downtown Chicago, and the biggest thing is we need to know if you're interested in making it. We're planning an event. We're not going to say where yet, but we need a headcount. So there's a Google form to fill out. We're going to put the link in the show notes. And please let us know if you're interested in attending. The event itself is going to be free. Just come out. Just hang with us. We've done similar events in Orlando during Podcast Movement a few years ago and during LeakyCon in Boston. It's always a great time to finally meet our uh, listeners face to face. So there's a big to-do list today. Fill out that form. Fill out the Patreon form. form. This form. Check out the Spotify playlist. We're, we're keeping people busy if they're less busy over the summer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good. There's a lot There's a lot going on. All right. So those are all of our announcements. Phew. And now let's get to chapter by chapter. We're discussing Prisoner of Azkaban, chapter 15, the Quidditch final. And we will start, as always, with our seven word summary. Maybe we could actually do seven words uh, this time, guys. <laughs> yes. Let's are try. We, are we sure? We're not going to peter out? Is everybody Oof. awake? Fatigue. Sets. In. For. Hermione. Intensely. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Well, we did seven. That's the new bar, actually getting all seven words. (laughs) I didn't set Laura up well for success with Hermione. I actually like this lens for the seven word summary this week, because that does play a really significant role in this chapter, even if a lot of the focus is on Quidditch, right? 
yeah, the whole chapter begins with sort of an examination of the depths with which Hermione has really been affected, which is nice because Harry and Ron have been piloting without her. We haven't really gotten this this level of attention to Hermione yet uh, in recent chapters, so it's a big deal. She's really having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. In addition to the letter, which in U.S., um, Scholastic Publisher has done this amazing thing where the letter from Hagrid has actual teardrops on it, and it's a very specific to the U.S. thing. The U.K. thing can't touch this. It's so sad to learn of Beaky's appeal or Beaky's trial not going well, and Hagrid blames himself. Hermione tried so hard to make that not the case, but ultimately she was just one girl and she couldn't save it. So she's feeling very, very upset about that. This is a perfect opportunity to do a mental health alert because Hermione's overworked and stressed out. We've all been there at some point in our, whether it's our school career or our professional career. And this made me wonder who thought her taking all of these classes at 13 was such a great idea. And is anybody checking in with her to make sure that she's doing okay? That's probably the better question to ask because in the span of one day, she misses a class, charms, she quits another in divination, and she hits a fellow student. So this also made me wonder what else has been going on with Hermione that we just haven't seen because Harry and Ron haven't been with her the last couple of weeks. She could be completely breaking down. She's turned to petty crime, you know, (laughs) she's a real kleptomaniac now. Well, I do want to talk about how, what her energy levels are like, because a line later in the chapter got me thinking, but I guess I'll hold off for now. But yeah, it's, um, there really should be somebody checking in on her, particularly McGonagall, since she coordinated this time turner effort with Hermione. And you do have to wonder if that is going on. Maybe that's something that could be explored in the TV show. Yeah, and we do see McGonagall a little later in this chapter, but not doing any kind of check-ins necessarily. Like you got to think the head of house would actually have a lot of responsibilities of ensuring the well mental health being of the students. Like you would think that we would see McGonagall just hanging out in the common room every once in a while just to be like, "Hey students." I mean, she is their transfiguration teacher, but I think a head of house would just have more of those duties of like showing up in the common room every once in a while. In the book, it's only used for when there's an announcement to make when something horrible has happened to one of the students. But yeah, I mean, McGonagall should kind of definitely have checked in with Hermione, especially because of all the special permissions she needed to be able to get the time turner in the first place. Right. And maybe she does. We just never see any examples of Mm. it. You know, would Hermione admit to being overworked? Like would would Hermione if if Probably somebody was not like, yeah well that was like if 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 McGonagall were to say like you're clearly stressed would you like to drop arithmancy and Hermione would be like no 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 you know I like she wouldn't admit to it to herself maybe Agreed. yeah the the other piece of this too is that she doesn't have the balance of Harry and Ron being there as her friends to help her through this right and and that's a major part of probably why she is behaving the way that she is. She's additionally stressed by the fact that her friends are not talking to her or mad at her. And she has this massive course load that she's trying to work through. Well, 
There is, of course, in addition to, well, Harry and Ron do decide to start speaking to her again. They kind of come together over this shared issue of Buckbeak's looming appeal and or execution. And there's just this emotional catharsis because she apologizes to Ron. Hermione just says she's sorry that the whole Crookshanks thing happened. And Ron, bless him, is like, eh, no big deal. So they're friends again. Yeah, and it's a good reminder. And I think we've probably all experienced this in life, maybe particularly amongst family members. Um, There's nothing like some grim news to help friends and family (laughs) set aside their differences and focus on what's actually important. Um, You think also about scenarios like moments of tragedy, like, like, sorry to, to bring up 9-11, but like, remember how everybody set politics aside for a little bit when, when 9-11 happened? Like, there's just moments when people just like kind of realign priorities and, and they just revisit what's most important. I also thought it was interesting how quick Ron was to go back to characterizing Scabbers as useless and old, uh, <laughs> both words that he uses here. So at this point, How much of this conflict do we think was actually about Scabbers versus Ron just feeling disregarded by his friend? Uh, Yeah, probably a little bit of both. Was about Scabbers. And in my opinion, I I think we've seen many times throughout the series up to this point, how Ron refers to Scabbers. And it's not like it's an endearing pet. It's not like he has these moments where he's off with Scabbers running through the field or they're you know, taking time to hang out with each other. He could I'm care less about the rat. It's a hand-me-down pet, which let's face it, Ron gets a lot of hand-me-down stuff at the end of the day. And yeah. I, I think it's more about, as Laura pointed out, Ron feeling disregarded by a friend and Hermione refusing to validate the fact that if something happened to Scabbers, it was likely due to the fact that Crookshanks was involved. Yeah, at the same time, Scabbers is one of the few things Ron has. Uh, And so I do think there is an element of it is Ron's. I mean, it still reflects on Ron, but I think some bit of it is actually caring for this pet because he has very few responsibilities, very few, you know, like to take care of the pet. I think Ron has somehow, I mean, Scabbers is not necessarily going off all the time like we imagine Neville's toad Trevor is just always away feeding itself. I think Ron actually feed Scabbers and make sure that Scabbers is like, okay, on a daily level. We just don't see it because the book's from Harry's perspective. So I like to think Mm -hmm. Ron is a little bit more actively involved in taking care of Scabbers. And that's some of this. Sure. Yeah, but you see how quickly an apology changes the entire tone of the situation. That's all that he was looking for at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Hermione finally did it right. I mean, we've been calling her out for this for the last couple of episodes because she just wouldn't say that she was sorry. And we see how quickly that turns things around here, to make his point. Do we think she'll ever apologize to Malfoy? <laughs> no. <laughs> because Does Malfoy deserve an apology? I don't absolutely think so. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, we're getting to, so this is the the slap heard around the world here, or the fandom. Uh, Hermione, we talked about what are the side effects of Hermione being overworked. Even though she's made up with Harry and Ron, she's going and committing physical assault. Uh, actually, this chapter has tons of physical assault, um, but specifically after Care of Magical Creatures class, which is one of the only you know opportunities that the trio has to learn more and talk with Hagrid about the Buckbeak scenario. 
Malfoy is laughing, sniggering, whatever you want to call it, saying how pathetic Hagrid is. And this sets Hermione off. She goes up, boom, smack, slaps him. He doesn't know what to say. He's caught off guard. Crab and Goyle, normally Draco's protectors, are shocked. They're stunned. They're looking to him for what to do. And very quickly, Malfoy excuses them and they all go down to the dungeons. There's no recourse. There's no lines that would make this better. Pretty embarrassing for Draco, but good for Hermione. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's interesting that Draco doesn't run to anyone to complain like we see him do in so many other instances, especially in (laughs) this book, right? He goes and gets Hagrid in trouble. He gets Buckbeak in trouble to the point of being executed. Uh, (laughs) He got Harry in trouble uh, in the last chapter, right, for sneaking off to Hogsmeade. So he's not above running to a teacher to try and, you know, make himself, in many cases, look better and get others into pretty bad situations. So it's interesting that he doesn't say anything about this incident with Hermione, as far as we know. He's probably embarrassed that it happened, that he got attacked by a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I it think it's me. that. It's being attacked. It's being beaten by a girl, but it's also being beaten by a muggleborn. This particular muggleborn. Ooh, yeah. Again. Because we mm. have to remember that Lucius really shamed him in Chamber of Secrets for getting lower marks on his exams than her at the prior year. So admitting to being bested by someone who's deemed lesser than by the pure blood mania community that Draco's a part of would probably be too embarrassing for him to own up to. I was also wondering if Buckbeak hadn't attacked Draco and Draco witnessed Hagrid finding out, say, Buckbeak had to be put down due to illness or he found out that another pet had to be put down, like Fang. Would he have the same reaction or is he, is he putting this on to impress his friends? You know, his, his reaction to Hagrid being upset. It's just so mean. And I know like being a, attacked, air quotes, is a big factor here. But I wonder if the situation were different, if he would still be this way towards Hagrid, be mm. reacting this way. Mm. I think yes. Oh, it maybe wouldn't. It wouldn't be rooted in as much um, maybe vitriol or hatred as it is here because of the connection to the Buckbeak attack. But this isn't the only time we see Draco making fun of Hagrid for something like this, calling him a great oaf, um, making fun of him for blubbering in various instances. I think if Hagrid were openly sad about the passing of one of his animals and Draco saw it, I think he would make fun of him. And I also think he's doing it to impress his friends. So, yeah. Well, Laura, to your point too about the pureblood thing, he's also racist against Hagrid's half giant Mm -hmm. status. Uh, So a lot of the comments like big oaf have to do with Hagrid's non-human status and, and some of those parts. So Draco's a little bigot. Yep. And also... Uh, here, the the question about whether or not it would work with like if it's if it's anybody like that's just kind of how Draco rolls. Like he is coming from a place of we shouldn't have to be in this class, and he's not necessarily wrong. Dumbledore does not hire the best people for these subjects. So if you if you get rid of all the racism, if you get rid of all the other stuff that's going on here, 
Draco is just a student who expects more from his academia. And I never thought I'd be apologizing for Draco. I'm actually <laughs> not. Apolog- Let me make it clear. I'm not apologizing for him. But I'm thinking if you really strip it down where it comes from, where, where Draco would like be a normal kid about this is just this class is boring. This class is 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 um, we never should have been put in danger, which I think is mm-hmm. a reasonable thing. But he wasn't paying attention in that class, then got swiped. And that's why he's angry about but- it. Danger is a byproduct of pretty much every class at Hogwarts. So I don't think that you can put that on Hagrid. Whether or not he's a competent teacher is a whole other conversation. But in terms of whether or not Draco would have had a different reaction, I agree. I don't I don't think he would have. Not 13-year-old Draco. Maybe as he started to get a little bit older, because we do see him change a bit later on in the series. And I think he starts to realize just how dangerous some of the things are that he's becoming involved in. Uh, But at this point, no, I can't see. I just see him making more fun of the situation, if anything. I want to jump back to something, Eric, you said before, because it's interesting to me. Is Care of Magical Creatures a required course? Isn't it one of the ones they actually elect to take at the end of year two? Yeah. Because they're they're choosing between that, arithmancy, and a couple others that get mentioned. Yeah. I wonder if there's any precedent for in the middle of the year just switching it up. Or once the remember, once the hippogriff lesson came and, and Draco was injured, um, the rest of the classes were boring like flower worms and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there wouldn't be a huge contingent of students that would be like, actually, this isn't for us. Because within the, after the first lesson, you should be able to change to whatever the alternative was. Yeah. Like, is there an ad drop period? That happens. An ad drop period. That's what it is. Yeah, there, there, there should be. I mean, that. I'd feel bad for Hagrid, um, but it's clear that that class, even though it was Draco's fault, that this whole thing was unfortunately d- due to Hagrid's sort of lack of skill as a teacher. But yes, also double. Hire Newt Scamander. Wait, yeah, he's alive. Yeah. He's around. He shows like, up on the Marauder's map in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie. That's right. He's even on the grid. That's a great yeah. point. Chloe's pointing out um, that they all drop care of magical creatures in their sixth year. So definitely implies it's an elective, which honestly kind of makes what Draco's doing worse here because clearly he doesn't want to be in this class for academic purposes. So he's choosing to stay right. there so that he can continue to torment Hagrid and make fun of him and bully him. Clearly, I mean, we see an example of Hermione uh, dropping a class in this chapter. So Draco could have left this class at any time and he chooses not to. That's messed up. But I think we're used to that from him. Is physical violence ever the answer? <sighs> I would say. <laughs> in, what a pause. In pro- Sorry, I ju- that's not in the doc. I just was like, <laughs> no, let's no, no. talk about whether that's OK. So I would I would say in in practice, no. Um, it should never be the go-to. However, sometimes things happen. And how do I put this diplomatically? I know that we have a wide... Without annoying parents without and, annoying and parents. inspiring children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> sometimes in this life, you're going to meet someone who is like a Drago Malfoy. And it's going to become very apparent that they have never been in a situation 
where they said or did something that would inspire somebody to do what Hermione did. And the fact that they have never been in a situation where that kind of threat was an option shows. It just says a lot about who they are and the lack of social consequences that they have experienced in life. That is how I will put it. Perfect. Well worded. We're going to keep focusing on Hermione for a little bit more based on how we started the chapter, because right after the slap, Harry and Ron and Hermione go toward the charms corridor and they're all at the door together. But all of a sudden, once Harry and Ron enter late, they realize Hermione is not with them. She misses charms class. They're doing cheering charms today, which makes them all giddy with happiness. It would have been the perfect, perfect tonic for everything Hermione is going through, but she couldn't make the class. And then after the charms class, Harry and Ron catch Hermione dozing off in the common room. Um, And it made me wonder, when you turn back time, do you regain the energy that you had when, when you're moving back to that time? And then this got me thinking that I think one of the biggest issues with time turning and what Hermione is doing is that you're suddenly operating for more hours every day. It's like flying around the world and you become jet lagged. And obviously, Hermione sleeping implies that you do not regain that energy, I guess. She also could be tired just because she's taking more classes. But yeah, I, I, what do you all think? I mean, she, I, I'm, I'm assuming she isn't regaining the energy. I don't think uh, so. When she goes back. For yeah. her, for her, time is still linear. So even though she's so when she relives it, it's it's exactly like you're saying her days are longer. Her days are two or three hours longer, depending on how many classes it is. So she's reliving 10 o'clock or 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock is everyone else's nine o'clock to 10 o'clock, I guess is what I, is the way to kind of explain it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about this before. It's not only the taking of the courses, but she has to use more time in order to do the work that follows those courses right. too, because it's not like she's doing arithmancy and then going back in time to do potions and, and then moving forward in time to do care of magical creatures. It, everything has to be done, I'm assuming, in what we would think would be the present. So that's additional hours out of her day that she then needs to spend doing all of her classwork too. Yeah. yeah. And when they find her, she's studying she was studying her her head's down in a book so yeah maybe she's maybe she's giving herself extra class periods of studying too like using the time turner just to give herself more study halls yeah i could see that i wanted to plug um our physics of harry potter episode it was episode 576 that we did Uh, we talked about a lot of the outstanding questions about the way magic works and how It can be explained or maybe not explained by physics on this episode, including time turners. And in the episode, we talked about how closed loop time travel is kind of messy and it leaves a lot up to interpretation because it doesn't have very many clear rules. So with closed loop time travel, you can you can't change the events that occurred, but you can change the context of what happened. 
So to the point Eric brought up about Hermione maybe giving herself extra study periods, I think that's a great example of what she could be doing here. I was thinking maybe she could have been using the time turner to buy herself extra nap time. Um, <laughs> in addition would, to yeah. getting back and doing these other classes. But the fact that she's so tired maybe suggests she's not doing that. And it also makes me wonder if there were certain rules around what she could use the time turner to do. It seems like whatever regulations are in place were pretty strict for her. So it could be you can literally only use this to attend classes. You can't manipulate time for any other purpose. That too dangerous. Sucks. Yeah. Too danger. Too much danger for Hogwarts. And that could explain why she's so freaking tired all the time. You should get one perk, like extra naps or something. <laughs> I agree. It should be like a credit card. <laughs> you get those nice nifty perks, you know, with your oh yeah, DoorDash pass points that you can redeem. <laughs> no. All she gets is her gray hair is going to come in a little earlier because she's a few years older than the rest of the boys by the end of the year. But yeah, I mean, speaking of closed loop time travel, the way I always think of it is it's Harry seeing himself at the end of the book, uh, you know, and it was always him because they were always going to go back in time. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of closed loop time travel. You didn't know it. It's like uh, McNair in the movie with Buckbeak. You see the axe going down, but it turns out that's his disappointment and he's chopping a pumpkin. Right. So when it comes to Hermione missing charms class here, my question is, once Harry and Ron realize she's not in the class and they go back and tell her she can't go back in time because she was already perceived by them to not be in the class. If they were going to go and like tell her she missed it and she's like, oops, got to go and then goes back in time and attends it, she wouldn't be able to. Something would stay. This is like where I mean, Marco appreciate this, like time guardians. There's all these thoughts yeah. about circumstances will conspire to make sure that the timeline is is exactly as witnessed. So because Harry and Ron were in that class and she wasn't, it means never in the future will she ever go back and attend that class again. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. You know, if if for some reason Harry and Ron just hadn't noticed she wasn't there. Right. Maybe she could go back and do this. Right. Because presumably she's been doing this to attend classes that have conflicting time blocks all year. But the reason she's getting away with it is because Harry and Ron aren't in a lot of those classes. But it also raises the question about there being other students in those classes who would presumably notice her missing sometimes. So again, this is where closed loop time travel gets really messy because it can start coming apart pretty quickly if you start asking too many questions. So, uh, if if we can move on, we have one more class that Hermione attended. We're still talking about Hermione's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> divination. They get to divination, and <laughs> well, after 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 waking Hermione up, they all go. The trio goes to the divination tower, and hey, we're starting a new subject this time: crystal balls. Harry is thankful to move on from palmistry, where Trelawney would always touch his hands and freak out. But surprise, she touches the orb near him and she starts to freak out again. This is the final straw. This is where Hermione leaves divination forever. Is it fair to have the kind of scorn that Hermione does for Trelawney? This is after Easter break. It's March or April. 
and Trelawney is still going on about the Grimm. Well, can we flip the question and ask, is it fair for Trelawney to still be behaving in this way towards Mm. Harry? We're so hard on Hermione here in this moment, but Trelawney treats her pretty poorly. Yeah, it's like, let it go. You made your point. Let it go. And again, I think we've brought this up before. You're telling this to a child. This isn't healthy for them. You yeah. don't need to be hearing this. Maybe <laughs> once, okay, as a nice little like gesture. But <laughs> how many times do they need to hear their death is imminent? Right. Or the death of their classmate, too. Like that's that's some dark stuff. Like yeah. if I were if I were Harry's divination classmates, I'd be going up to him after every class going, Hey buddy, you okay? <laughs> like, are you feeling like you might be closer to death today? Um but to be yeah. fair to Trelawney, like she still sees the Grim. If if she is good at her job, the fact that she still sees the Grim, if she does, does actually relate to the fact that there is a black dog that is still looking to connect with Harry. Their destinies are intertwined. So there's a small part of me that's like, yes, Trelawney's a bully. She is absolutely doing something that no good teacher should be doing. But maybe she is actually persistently really actually seeing the black dog. So does that change the context of her continually kind of making a big scene about it? It's one of those things where, Eric, if I told you beware the number seven, you're going to start seeing the number seven everywhere that you go because it's being ingrained into your subconscious mind, right? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of what's happening here with Harry, because we know he ends up seeing the Grimm a little bit later on in this chapter. But if the Grimm wasn't so prominent in this book, would he just think of it as being another dog versus being some death omen that's showing up every once in a while? Well, there's a tiny chip in the facade, too. When Harry wakes up before the Quidditch, we're going to get to this later, but there's a brief moment where he sees that Crookshanks knows the dog and it becomes, wait a minute, if this is my death omen, what's that cat doing with the dog? And it's like the first crack in maybe I'm not going to die someday. But in the meantime, everybody thinks Harry is doomed and Hermione just can't take it anymore. I mean, there is that funny line where uh, Trelawney opens the class with we're starting the crystal balls early because uh, my inner eye tells me it's going to be on the exam and Hermione's like she sets the exam <laughs> this is totally nuts the, yeah the first half of this chapter is really just the eruption of Mount Hermione I mean this is everything that's been building up in her for the entire <laughs> the episode title the eruption of Mount Hermione yeah <laughs> but, it, but it is like think about it when we've all been stressed out And there finally comes that moment where everything just explodes out of you because you're just so damn frustrated. That's what's happening with Hermione in this chapter, because this is the second confrontation that she's had that presumably has been building up for a really long time. Um, And I think a lot of it has to do with how Trelawney speaks to Hermione. And if we want to talk about connecting the threads, thread alert, a lot of what (laughs) she says to Hermione are kind of held on by her throughout the course of the series into Order of the Phoenix because we see her even say pretty nasty things about Ferenz when it comes to him taking over the class for her. So, and at that point, Hermione's not even taking divination anymore. So I think that if Trelawney had been less confrontational with her, perhaps this would have had a different type of outcome. 
please post that on our Threads account, Micah. Thank you. Yeah, please do. I will. (laughs) Yeah, she says to Hermione, it has been clear since the moment you first walked into this classroom that you do not possess the inner eye. And that sort of thing, like, Hermione just can't tolerate Trelawney's personality. But you see, and this is true in real life, I just heard from somebody who took like a calculus class. They failed it miserably because the teacher was awful. Then they thought they weren't good at it. But then they had a different teacher a few years later. And it's like, oh, this is easy. Like, you can inspire a bad teacher can inspire a hatred or like a a dislike of a subject for someone's whole life. They don't pursue that. Mm. And that's a real damage. Muggleborn have the inner eye? Do you think maybe that's how she's interpreting it too, is that in an indirect way, Trelawney is discriminating against her because she is Muggleborn? I definitely want to ask why she picked her. Possibly. Kind yeah. of, but 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 then here's the here's the way this uh, trickery uh, inner eye stuff that Trelawney's doing. She didn't pick Hermione. She said ominously at the beginning of the year, one of our members will leave us forever, and it could have been Harry because she keeps giving him death threats. It could have been Hermione. There's ways in which it could have been Neville. Maybe Neville just feels bad for breaking everything. He's on the verge of a nervous breakdown, according to this chapter. Like anyone could be lo- the one that left. But until Hermione storms out, that prophecy was unfulfilled. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that Trelawney has at least one student drop her class every year. Because <laughs> she's so intolerable. <laughs> yes. And I think she has convinced herself that this is prophetic. It's something that she is able to predict. And because she usually has a handful of students who she makes miserable in the class, to your point about Harry, Hermione, Neville, she can count on one of them dropping the class because, again, it's an elective. They don't need it. So it's an easy bet for her to make to be able to look impressive and, you know, claim that the inner eye sees all. And I think she knows she needs to push somebody out eventually because mm-hmm. she made this prediction. She needs to show that she was right. So she might be purposely prodding Harry, Hermione a little bit to try and push one of them away. I would not I would not put that past Trelawney. We also know she drinks too, so that could be playing a role here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She doesn't have a high degree of confidence. I mean, Trelawney has been placed in a position where she cannot succeed. Really? By Dumbledore, who just needs to keep her in Hogwarts for his own Machiavellian purposes. We know that Hermione doesn't set anything in store by divination, but we did hear from one of our listeners who does. And I'm going to read this email real quickly, although it is heavily abridged. The actual email was longer. This is from AZ. First time listener catching up on the current book episodes. I've always found the treatment of the occult arts in Harry Potter to be abysmal. And ironic for anyone who's into Harry Potter, so to be so quick to continue discrediting tarot, psychics, and astrologers. While they're not 100% guaranteed to be credible, they are in practice the closest things to magic actually being practiced by people today. So a lot of this email was in response to something we said in 608. Doing tarot is not the same as seeing a psychic unless you're getting read cards by a psychic. Also, a random general collective reading in a newspaper, say horoscopes, is not the same as an astrology reading. I find it so frustrating to have a vague collective sun sign newspaper reading to be equated with something that is actually a fairly precise and respectable thing, then therefore being used to dismiss and discredit it. Solid professionals of any of the occult arts would say it's not about predicting the future. 
but to ground yourself in the present and your instincts and to understand the energies of how the planets interact and how they interact with you and your life. Even in a normal scientific way, we see some planetary influence with moon tides and other normal science things. Also, many ancient practices that have been discredited by modern, usually Western science, have a real basis. I just don't think there's a cut and dry dichotomy between science and the occult arts slash spirituality. A lot of people rely on making it a dichotomy or automatically discredit these things. And normally I just let it pass, but it seems like this may actually be worth bringing to y'all's attention as you do seem thorough and balanced. So thank you, AZ, who then went on to suggest we have some guests on and recommended the Ghost of a Podcast uh, host, Jessica, who, hey, maybe we'll reach out to. But this leads into a question I had for the host today, which is, you know, what are your personal feelings on any of this divination stuff and tarot, palmistry, that kind of thing? I've personally never gotten involved. I haven't had a reading done. I don't judge anybody for doing it. Like, if that's what you believe in, that's fine. That's great. If you want to go there for guidance, I think that's awesome. I do think Trelawney gives it a bad rap. And with how it's portrayed in the books, I think the readers led to believe that you shouldn't really take this stuff seriously. So I could see why listeners like AZ are frustrated. Yeah, so I've I've actually, uh, I've had my tarot cards read. Um, I've done, you know, participated in having readings done. Chloe actually um, did a, a little bit of astrology for me once um, because that that's an area where she actually has a lot of practice. Um, I think personally, I view these things as helpful tools for self-exploration and discovery to learn more about yourself and kind of understand you know, you and how you interact with the environment around you. I'm not, as a person, I'm not heavily spiritual. So I don't know that I would say that I believe in the idea of like an overarching, like mysticism, but that doesn't mean I'm right. I think that's where anytime you get into conversations about religion, spirituality, what have you, I think that's where people go wrong is there's this, it, it can be arrogance to assume that just because you believe something that you must be right. So I may not believe in the same things that somebody who practices, say, tarot or voodoo or any other religion does, but that doesn't mean I'm right. I'm not the master of the universe. So who am I to tell somebody else that what they're practicing, what they're believing in is wrong? Um, and, you know, I actually had a great conversation with a voodoo practitioner one time when I was visiting New Orleans. And I think, you know, voodoo is um, it's a belief system and I may be kept categorizing that incorrectly. So please let me know if I'm wrong. But it's one that gets a really bad rap because in pop culture, it is depicted as something nefarious. It's something that you only use for nefarious purposes. And I learned from speaking to somebody who actually practices it that that's not true. It's oftentimes used for very good things. So I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding um, about 
these types of belief systems. And we can go into talking about how a lot of the characterizations of the mystic arts are also rooted in like racism and colonialism. But that's a really large conversation that we don't have time for today. But I think that's where a lot of it comes from. And when you think about the fact that these books were written by a British author, that makes a certain amount of sense that divination (laughs) is being characterized in this way. So I know that was a bit of a tangent, but I just wanted to bring it full circle there. You brought it home at the end there. You really did. (laughs) Meg yeah. in our Discord says, I vote for Laura to be master of the universe. Mm-hmm. I appre- mm. I appreciate the confidence, but I think that would be probably a bad idea. I think it works with your lighting you've got going oh, on. Thank it's you. like <laughs> master of the universe lighting. It's giving galaxy. There's a new Google form you can fill out where there's a poll. Should Laura be master of the universe? Yeah, He-Man has been there for too long, Laura. You need to dethrone him. <laughs> Honestly, I'm I'm a Skeletor girly, so I don't oh, know if you want me to be ayo. master of the universe. <laughs> so, Micah, do you believe in uh, tarot, astrology, that kind of thing? You ever get your palm read? I haven't, but I, I do think, as a lot has been said already, like it has its place. I, I, I think that there's something to it. I mean, I'm definitely somebody who has, you know, when I've had certain dreams, like I've gone online to Google what they actually mean. Now, depending on what you read, you could get a multitude of different interpretations. But uh, yeah, like to some extent, I do believe in, you know, let's say you're having aches and pains on one side of your body. You can also go and read up on, you know, what does the right side of your body represent? What does the left side of your body represent? and, And to some extent, if you believe in that stuff, it makes some sense. Um, I do like what Laura was saying though, because the fact that we are reading a series that is entirely about magic, yet this one particular area seems to be so taboo, says a lot about the author uh, and how she herself interprets this type of practice or these practices. Because you would think in a school of magic, something like divination would be more popular, would be embraced. And if we're really looking for how the author feels about divination, let's not forget that the entire Hall of Prophecy is destroyed in Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) Did you just connect the threads (laughs) between book three and book five? Now we have a a second thread for this episode. Second thread. (laughs) Back to the app. (laughs) The other thing that came to mind, though, is that for however kooky Trelawney is made out to be, she does end up being right. But you could Mm -hmm. argue that you know, we could get into a whole conversation about prophecies and how they're fulfilled and the actions that are taken as a result of people hearing them. But uh, th- this yeah. is a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I just in response to Az's uh, email, you know, we were if if the books are very critical on the occult, but I will say I also believe in it. I believe as conscious beings, we have the energy to affect energy in the universe, or tap into it, or understand, or glean something from it. So. Great email. Thank you, AZ. Yeah, thanks for that. All right. We are now going to talk about the titular event, the Quidditch final of this chapter. So it's a huge match, huge enthusiasm. It's always so interesting. Whenever we do a Quidditch chapter, we're like, how does the author make this one different? And it seems like (laughs) 
it seems like the way that this gets differentiated is there's so much physical assault. <laughs> there are so many fouls. They, it, it, it's getting so bad in the lead up to the Quidditch game that Gryffindors are being deputized to protect Harry, to go with Harry everywhere. Not just one or two, but almost the whole class so that the Seeker is not whacked or taken out of commission before the game. And this is Man. just nuts. Yeah. I earlier we were like violence actually has a place, and <laughs> now actually I I I was planning on bringing up today that I like all the violence in this in this Quidditch match. So I I apologize for all the thumbs up we're giving around violence today. <laughs> yeah, but Eric, um, it you the the security nightmare has been solved at least for Harry. Right? They should have been doing this for the entire book for the entire year. <laughs> then Harry wouldn't have to walk around about. with their beater bats no like have him completely protected everywhere he goes he could gone to hogsmeade he would have had the entire gryffindor class surrounding him yeah yeah it's it's just crazy because uh i think this has to do with historical tension between the houses another thing i do want to talk about is like it's everyone in this chapter against the slytherins um because slytherin has historically won the quidditch cup and it may have even been for like 7 years now at this point so everyone wants to see the slytherins fail uh and fall at this at the time of the game all three of the other houses are decked out Gryffindor vibes uh, and Slytherin kind of has to sit on their own with just each other at the end of the pitch. So there's very much a history of uh, these kinds of things. There's skirmishes in the halls, a fourth year and a sixth year and this, but it, it goes into this huge rivalry that isn't just Harry Draco. It's everyone like the school and the Slytherins. And it's chapters like this that are why <laughs> Slytherin gets such a bad rap here in our muggle world. Oh, we're so bad. We're so evil. We hate Slytherins. Go, go, Gryffindor. This stuff is why Slytherins get hated on by Harry Potter fans. I think we've grown out of it. Just like, you know, the treatment of, of Hufflepuffs has evolved over the years, but these books right. do us Slytherins dirty. <laughs> well, perfect example could be it's mentioned that a Gryffindor fourth year and a Slytherin sixth year get into it. You don't know who started it. You're presuming that because the Slytherin sixth year is older and is a Slytherin that they started the fight, but we don't know that. Mm-hmm. Right? It could have been yeah. the Gryffindor. That's my point. I think the point is that in the core seven books, House identities are very much treated as one dimensional. Gryffindors are brave. Slytherins are evil. Hufflepuffs are losers. Ravenclaws are smart. <laughs> like those are the tropes that were given. And as the fandom has grown, as the franchise has attempted to expand, there has been an expansion of what it means to be in those houses. So what we're seeing here is just a very early on one dimensional representation of what it means to be a Slytherin, unfortunately. Yeah. But by the way, another benefit about our new beanie, there's enough Gryffindor stuff out there. This sets Gryffindors aside for <laughs> once. Okay. It's I... it's it's good. We didn't we didn't need something else nodding to Gryffindor. Uh Meg Q in the Discord says, I bet the whole school is listening to the playlist. Yes, that's right. The Gryffindor Chanel's playlist. Gryffindor, Gryffindor yeah. playlist. That's not yeah. Absolutely they are, because it's time for Slytherin to fall. And they do eventually, but 
not before this colorful commentating uh, by Lee Jordan. You know, Lee Jordan, obviously a point of humor, obviously a comedic moment. Do we how do we what how do we rate kind of his uh, commentary between is it fair and balanced? Is it hugely biased or somewhere in the middle during this match? During this match? Biased, but still telling it like it is. <laughs> still okay. He's okay, because like he says it that Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. Should they get somebody that's not to So I thought about this in terms of most sports broadcasting teams. They have a play-by-play announcer, and then they usually have a color commentator. And Lee is the color commentary, right? Like he's going to tell it like it is. He's going to throw some, you know, uh, of his own opinions in there versus having somebody that's just going to sit there and call the match play by play in in terms of what's going on. So I think he does need a counterpart, not McGonagall, who is constantly, you know, yelling at him for saying things that is debatable whether or not he should be saying them. So I, I think he needs like, Somebody who's knowledgeable about Quidditch who can sit beside him and and be his counterpart. I guess, like, what's the issue with him being biased? It sucks for the Slytherin players. I guess it can maybe maybe uh, impact you mentally while you're playing. Like, you're being basically hurt in real time. But the Slytherins are also playing dirty, too. So I guess maybe I shouldn't have sympathy for them. No, it, it it is crazy, too, because uh, the first thing that Lee says that's slightly offensive is like, oh, they're going for size more than skill. But like then Harry looks at them and it's like, oh, yeah, Malfoy's the smallest. These are just real big dudes. And they grab Katie by the head. Somebody else elbows someone in the face. Just the, the, the fouls are just all over the place in this game. I can't even believe that all the players are still allowed to be in the game. But come on, Eric, the stakes are high. This is the Quidditch final. Slytherin hasn't lost in however many years. The yeah. whole school is amped up. This is for all the marbles. <laughs> There's got to be some physical contact going on in this match. That You know, it can't just be like Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. Oh, here we go again. Approving of violence. Well, like, isn't, hang on, I, I, well, we learn in this chapter that there's rules against hitting the bludger or, or attacking a keeper, right? You have to be within the ball, the, within the zone. But what else? There's, I, I mentioned grabbing Katie by the face, elbowing somebody, flying into someone and then saying, sorry, didn't see you there. That happens twice during this game. He is totally nuts. And then Malfoy grabbing the back of Harry's broom, apparently an offense so great that McGonagall to this point, who's been telling Lee Jordan off just allows him to say, you booby <laughs> underscore. Yeah. Nobody tells him off because apparently grabbing a broom, which I would think is one of the more innocent, obvious ways of slowing people down and the, the obvious ways of getting ahead as a seeker. Apparently that's bad too. So there's so many penalty shots, but I'm asking what is Hooch's job anyway? Like <laughs> she's never there. Like, I'm imagining where's Hooch hashtag yeah. where's Hooch hashtag where's Hooch is Hooch missing because she misses every important conflict that happens on the Quidditch field. I don't blame her for not stopping in a fight in a corridor, but on the field, you should be the master of your domain. You should be Laura master of the universe on the Quidditch <laughs> pitch, like stopping this stuff. The ref, I know refs are usually on the sidelines, but this game needed special handling and special attention. In fairness to Hooch, she is only one lady. When you watch like football or some other sports, there's multiple referees 
because there's a lot happening. Mm. So and the Quidditch pitch is huge. So I guess if we really try to defend Hooch, if I really want to defend Hooch, I would I would make that argument. But yes, she needs to be here. She needs to be um, calling fouls and and getting this under control. Yeah, I agree. And maybe she needs additional referees on the pitch. She (laughs) she does need to be there. But I would just call out this is also a school sport. So, Micah, maybe you have a little more context you can add here. But I believe that a lot of times in school sports, the the field or the pitch in this regard might not be uh, it might not be standard size. For example, the Quidditch pitch at Hogwarts might not be the standard size of a pitch that, say, a professional team would play on. I mean, when you're watching a school sports game, how many referees are usually handling that? It's usually just one, right? Thinking like high school, for example, not like college level. If we're comparing Hogwarts, you know, to, you know, primary and secondary schools. I think it depends on the sport that's being played. But (laughs) then there's also the whole other piece of referees really have a very tough job and they're constantly getting mm-hmm. yelled at mostly by parents on the sideline. I was just going to bring this up when I was a young boy, 14, 15, 16, I actually was a soccer referee oh. in like little league soccer. I got paid like 20 bucks a game or something like that. It was the worst job I ever had. <laughs> like you're saying, these parents yell at you, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I missed the offsides. I don't even, I don't even know how offsides works, and I'm sitting there like being the referee for these kids' games. Oh my gosh, I hated it so much because these parents get so worked up over their children's games. I please never be a referee. Anybody <laughs> listening, never. It's horrible. I'm imagining Andrew refereeing and just telling these parents, peace and love, peace and love. <laughs> this is I my just want to go home and work on my Harry Potter fan site. <laughs> Why am I doing this? But yeah, it sucks. Um, But, but Draco holding Harry's broom. I mean, that was just awful. Yeah, in, in football, right, Micah? Right, bro? There's holding. <laughs> it's when you literally <laughs> grab somebody that's what's going on here. Yeah. And especially because brooms in Quidditch more than anywhere are an extension of the player. So holding mm-hmm. somebody's broom back is exactly the same as holding them physically from from play, yeah. from action. Right. It's a deliberate move, right? And, and I think mm-hmm. that's why it qualifies as a foul. Yeah. We were giving Cho such a hard time a couple episodes ago for tailing Harry and wondering whether or not that was actually a foul or or cheating, mm, right? Mm, mm, but mm. Slytherin just takes it to a whole new level. I mean, they're actually cheating. And who knows? I'm actually shocked that they were able to flip their rosters so close to the start of the match. Because as you mentioned earlier, Eric, they've replaced many members of their team with these, you know, big, bulky guys that you know, are you know presumably the intimidation but also they're they can hit the bludgers a lot harder pre- than whoever was on the team previously so there's that and then there's all the physical activity that we see there's Malfoy grabbing the broom which was mentioned so it's very interesting to look at Slytherin's approach to defeating Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw's approach to defeating Gryffindor a couple chapters ago 
Yeah. Well, like Cho would fly. Cho was blocking Harry, but by kind of getting around him and doing a quick creative turn. These players are actively running into with their brooms the other players. Huge difference for sure. And um, Andrew, but fear she, not, because yeah. next book everybody turns against Gryffindor, at least for part of it. Ooh, sweet! Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Can't wait. Very colorful. So the the last physical foul or whatever that I want to call out is Harry who gets the snitch and wins the game and wins the Quidditch Cup, but only by slapping Malfoy's hand out of the way as he was reaching for the snitch. Should this be allowed? There's one ball and two people seeking it, so you got to do something. I don't know. I I don't think it's... This doesn't bother me as much. Maybe I'm biased, but I just... Isn't it written to, like... I don't know. Is it a slap... Exactly. Oh, and so like, Malfoy gets slapped twice just, out of well, his no, chapter? But I, I just mean like if you're both kind of like you got two hands trying yeah. to one's just going to push the other. It's just going to mm-hmm. happen well, in a s- scenario like this. That's holding in, ba- in basketball, right? How do you as a ref? I'm thinking I would be awful because how do you discern whether somebody's grabbing at the basketball that's in someone's hands versus grabbing their hands to get the basketball? Like it's so nuanced. Like when you're a seeker, do you, you slap out of a hand. But isn't that just allowing your hand to fill that same space, you know, it's like in basketball, it would most definitely be a foul. Okay. Okay. All right. Good to know. I guess I just feel like if beaters are allowed to hurl bludgers at the opposing team to throw them off their game, I feel like this is fine. All bets are off. Like Quidditch is so violent that we can't police anything less than a bludger to the stomach. Yeah, and I I think too it's um it probably comes down to the intentionality, but also how severe a foul is and how much harm it could lead to. I think, for example, Draco grabbing Harry's broom and pulling on it, that's actively dangerous for both Draco and Harry. I mean, they're flying around in the air. Draco is described as like climbing back down onto his broom after the fact. So something like that seems like a very direct, deliberate yeah. foul. Whereas this, it's like, to be a seeker, you have to be pretty nimble. You're looking for a very small object. And if you're both racing for it, you're going to bump into each other. That's just, I think, probably an accepted consequence of the game now if harry had reached over and slapped draco across the face to stop him from catching the snitch i think it's another story well he could have also just given him a little bit of a bump right i think that that would have been tolerated more so than actually just slapping draco's hand out of the way because with the broom situation i would also think that that's more highly visible to Pooch and to others. Whereas if Draco and Harry are literally neck and neck with each other, seeing him slap Draco's hand out of the way is probably a lot more difficult. So if we went to the replay center, I think mm. the call would be overturned. Replay center. Yeah. And Harry would have been issued a foul in that situation because he is preventing Draco from grabbing the snitch. Now, I don't know. Maybe there are other rules we don't know about that the seekers can engage in physical contact with each other when they're chasing the snitch. Yeah. I, you know, like, where are the rules? There are none. Isn't, That's the problem with <laughs> Quidditch. 
<laughs> and that's why we see less and less of it yeah, as the series goes on. Because it's mm. a pain. It's un- uh, unsustainable. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Quidditch, time turners, prophecies. That's a connecting the threads. Like once we get into book five, all these things kind of get uh, demoted in terms yeah. of their importance. So you were getting off to odds and ends of the chapter. We mentioned uh, Harry having a dream and waking up in the middle of the night to find the Grim, a.k.a. Sirius, Padfoot, and Crookshanks. But he, the dream he wakes up from is one where he's missed the Quidditch game and they had to replace him with Neville. Uh, this is an obvious and overt connection to the prophecy, which we find out more about in Book 5, where Neville or Harry could have been the chosen one. Oh, so that's neat. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. that's a great you connection. Connected some threads, Eric. I did oh, it. I know. I'm gonna go. I'm booting. I'm booting up threads right now, y'all. Are we at number three or number four for this episode? I just threaded that we found two. Now I got to delete <laughs> it and <laughs> repost it. Can you edit posts on thread? Do we know this? No. Oh. No. How did they can't not do learn anything. this? You have to be real. It's all about. You can't go back. After you have you. to be real. That's another hash of app. Oh, oh. Oh, so many apps. And Eric, speaking of that dream, Draco is riding a dragon, uh, which is funny because Draco literally means dragon in Latin. Amazing. Love that. Good, love a good etymology. Um, and here's a connection also to book five. Uh, this is the first time that Harry sees Crookshanks and Padfoot together. But Crookshanks and Padfoot are going to be together to the end. Uh, Crookshanks, at some point in book five, wants to climb into the fire where they're talking to Sirius on the flu network. And it's nice to see that the two of them, Sirius and Crookshanks, have an enduring friendship, at least for the next two years. Mm. So it's very sweet. I wish we got more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's one point. Max that. Max that. Uh, Hermione arrives at Grimald Place and Sirius pets Crookshanks. It's it's real nice. Oh. Did our our alarm bells go off at all though when when this happened? I mean, it's such a brief moment in the chapter, but I feel like we should be very much paying attention to this. Yeah, I mean, Harry is just so stressed. He sees it but doesn't really register it. I think at some point in like the next chapter, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, I saw Crookshanks in the ground. Because and I think he's kind of doubting what he saw because he was half asleep. He didn't have his glasses yeah. on, right? He tries he to get Ron and Ron right. just falls right back asleep. So, yeah, it's like a lost cause. Um, but yeah, I think that will wrap our chapter 15 discussion. Awesome, guys. Yeah. And now let's hand out our MVP of the week awards. Got to give mine to Lee Jordan. Keep being you, buddy. (laughs) And I actually want to plus one this one. This is going to be mine as well. I was thinking this before I saw Eric's note. I was like, you know what? YOLO. Um, he, he, He called it as he saw it. He did his job, honestly. And it was a lot of fun to follow. I'm going to give it to Hermione for just releasing all that stress and tension on Draco and Trelawney. Yeah. (laughs) Mount Hermione. (laughs) 
<laughs> the eruption of Mount Hermione. Oh, man. Seriously, if that's not the episode title, it's a missed opportunity. Oh, we already got um, it written down. Okay. It, it's, uh, it's so good. <laughs> um, I'm going to give mine to Ron, who, as we've established on this show, he's a very smart character. Um for letting go of his fight with Hermione to support Hagrid in his time of need. What a guy. If you have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast at gmail.com. Or, by the way, whenever I say send an owl, I always think I'm going owl, like O-W. <laughs> <laughs> send an owl? What, did you stub your toe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every week at uh. the exact same moment. Um, or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can send a voice message as well. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can use our phone number, which is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. Hit us up with your feedback on social media, too. We're MuggleCast on Instagram, Threads, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, maybe Be Real. Who knows? <laughs> and next week, we will discuss Chapter 16 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Professor Trelawney's prediction. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Haven't we had enough of this? Hey, this one's real. And now it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, which class does Hermione fail to attend? It is, of course, Charms class. And, uh, man, we continue to get just a wonderful uh, invention of funny names. But somebody wrote in very seriously while answering Quizzich this week, saying, you forgot to read my name last week, even though I got it right, Lily Rose, the 11-year-old. Oh, Well, sorry, Lily, Lily Rose, we get over 40 submissions, uh, correct answers. So I usually skim the names. But yes, Lily, you had the correct Quizzich answer last week. However, you did not have the correct Quizzich answer this week. Because you forgot to read my name is not the correct answer. So sorry. Anyway, correct answers were also submitted by Bagels for Buckbeak, Fred Do Be the Best, Fantastic Beasts, More Like Fantastic Busts, 605 Hufflepuff, <laughs> Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Man, Me, 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 Gen Pen, Dagrid's Soggy Ferret Pillow, and, <laughs> and there's a lot to unpack there. And speak up, Micah, I can't hear you over the weed eater. I guess landscaping joke. Okay, and you all wonder right. why we don't include all the names. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a crash course in, in why we skip uh, that. So, oh, and my Hogwarts legacy student never skipped leg day. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to go on the record as saying I love all of y'all's names, so please keep them coming. I love the creativity. It's one of my favorite parts of our recording. It is. Yeah. I sneak yeah. in there sometimes too. <laughs> Are you French Lee Jordan? No. Oh. I'd be more creative than that. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. Okay. Well, here's your opportunity because we're still playing Quizich. Here is next week's question What is the first line, meaning first sentence, of Professor Trelawney's pedigree? Prophecy. This is a prophecy I've never never memorized myself. So we'll see. It's a hard one for y'all. Submit your answer to us on the Quizich form at mugglecast.com slash quizich or go to mugglecast.com and click on Quizich from the main nav. And just a reminder, I know we mentioned it at the top of the show, but Eric, Chloe, and I will be at LeakyCon 2023 in Chicago, August 4th through the 6th. 
Listeners interested in registering for the con can visit leakycon.com and enter code MUGGLE during checkout for a 10% discount. And hopefully we will be able to release our official panel times, dates. We know where the location is, but uh, more to come soon. Keep an eye out on social. And we also mentioned this, but really important. This is the one time a year you can get a gift from MuggleCast. So don't miss out. The 2023 gift is the MuggleCast knitted beanie, high quality colors inspired by our album art and our Hogwarts houses. Coincidentally, it's got the MuggleCast patch on front. By pledging to our Patreon at the Slug Club level, you are not only getting this gift, you're also supporting us. So we really appreciate the help. We couldn't do this show without support from listeners like you. Our Patreon is the only reason we do a weekly podcast. If you remember a few years ago, we launched the Patreon with the goal of releasing more episodes if we hit certain patron levels, and we did. This is how the show runs, through support from listeners like you. We're just a small team working together to create the best Harry Potter podcast that we can. So um, check it out. Don't miss out on this great gift. And when you're at the Slug Club level, by the way, you get a new physical gift every year. And also, didn't mention this last week, the MuggleCast Collectors Club is still happening. Uh, We'll have an announcement about that in maybe August or September, but the designs for this year's stickers are complete. We'll share those in due course. So thanks, everybody who supports us. We really, really appreciate it. And if you're enjoying MuggleCast and think other muggles would too, tell a friend about the show. And we'd also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. We have like 800, 900 reviews on Spotify now. I was like, dang, we got a lot of reviews there. I don't that's awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see. It's because of the playlist. It turns out asking people to review us actually gets results. Yes, yes. And yeah, Micah, maybe the playlist as well. So I think that does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. See everybody next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.